Praise the Lord. Do you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Anybody not eat turkey for Thanksgiving? Wow, some rebels out there. We'll be ministering to you at the end of the service today. We had a great uh, Thanksgiving. If you, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. We'd love to give out Bibles every service. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans 8. We had a great Thanksgiving out on the uh, Herber Ranch, my folks' place. And um, boy, what a sweet time. I have the real, real blessing of everyone in our immediate family has given their lives to Jesus. And so there's such a sweetness about that. Probably one of the highlights for me was being in the living room and everyone had cleared out. We had thankmas actually, because this was the time we were going to be with my parents' side, the family. So we gathered around the tree on Thanksgiving night and exchanged presents. And uh, one of the uncles read the Christmas story. But at the end of the time, all the kids had filtered out. And it was just my grandmother, who's 91, and my daughter, who's nine, and myself. And uh, we're sitting in the room with the, with the piano. And I said, Grandmother, would you play some, some old hymns for us? And she said, no. And I said, oh, please, Grandmother, play some hymns. And my daughter's just learning to play piano right now. And so it was just Grandmother and Hallie and myself. And Grandmother sat down at the piano. And 91, she's walking on a walker. She moves real slow, but she just started playing so beautifully. And Hallie's sitting there listening, and grandmother starts playing the hymn that was played at my grandfather's funeral uh, 22 years ago. She, I come to the garden alone, and he walks with me, and he talks with me. And there's my grandmother, 91. There's my daughter, 9. And I'm just weeping, just going, oh, my goodness, this is like heaven. And, you know, and, and, and you just start thinking, um, you, you can never underestimate the power of your decisions. My grandmother's decision to walk with God 80 years later is impacting my nine-year-old daughter. And I know for many of you, you're first-generation believers. You might not have had a Thanksgiving like me where you've got great-grandparents and grandparents and parents and children that are all learning to follow Jesus, but you are the one that's setting up the generations for blessing. You're going to be like my grandmother at 91, sitting in your living room with children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren gathered around you, testifying of the goodness of God. And that's just a good thing. So that was, that was such a great time. It was really the end of a season uh, for us. We've had such a good fall. Uh, I wish that the college students were back because... Uh, we're just recapping some things this, this morning, but it's, it's Thanksgiving was such a great time for me because we've run so hard this fall. It's been a great season this, these past three months for our church. We added new staff here to some wonderful people that's hearts are holy for God. Stephen, our worship leader, so blessed to, uh, have him and, um, so many other just wonderful staff, and we added new life groups as the church has grown. We graduated our first woman from our restoration house. Um, we started our, uh, our second school, our night school of transformation, as well as a day school of transformation. We had this awesome Halloween harvest fest, and 
Uh, I've seen some, continuing to see new faces that have come into the church family through that. And numerous people came to Christ. We baptized around 30 people uh, at our big baptism bash. It's been a great fall for us. And um, this was the first time where Steph and I took some time away with the family to just get some, some rest. I hope you were able to get some rest. But it, it, ends the, it marks the end of a season, and, and we're marking the end of a season this morning as we conclude our uncomfortable series. So this is the last morning we'll be really wrapping up our study of the book of Romans. I know we're not done uh, with the whole book, but we've come to kind of the midway point the, that just this... This big epiphany at the end of Romans 8 that just talks about the goodness of God's love. And that's what I want to unpack this morning. So if you'd look with me at Romans 8 and uh, one of the apexes of scripture, Romans 8, 28 through verses 39. Would you read it with me? Follow along in your Bibles. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let's read that together. If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that? Who was raised to life? Is it the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? Listen to this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger sword as it's written? For your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced That neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We should just go right back into worship, shouldn't we? That is a group of verses that should make us happy. This... Thanksgiving was also the closing of a season that we've been in prayer for the Tresser family. We received word on Thursday before Thanksgiving that Alyssa Shalom Tresser had passed away. And, you know, some things we'll never fully understand until we come into our eternal home in heaven. The doctors had said from the time that this young one was in the womb that she wouldn't survive. And they said that she wouldn't survive birth. And she did survive birth. And they said if she survives birth, she'll pass away within that first hours. And she didn't. And, you know, we'd come together and rally in prayer as a church family. And 
the odds would seem insurmountable and Alyssa would rally and, and she would make it. And then they'd give another just horrible uh, diagnosis and then would pray again and then she'd make it. And week after week, this went on and God's grace was abounding and I, I went in the hospital room and would pray and you could even just feel God's power when we're praying and you know and then Thursday we see that she's gone downhill and downhill and downhill and finally passes away and you know th- those times for a pastor when you're called to come and be with the family, it's both one of the greatest privileges. It's also a heavy burden. And so going into that room with Matt and Sherry and the child who's, who's passed on, you don't know what to expect. Stephanie and I walked in and Jonathan was in the room with them. and There was such a tangible presence of God, such a peace in that room. And Matt and Sherry had, of course, shed many tears and feeling such a great loss. But walking in, there was such a noteworthy grace that was resting on them. And we talked. You, you know, I've, I've been around a lot of families and experienced a lot of death in my time. And so often there's such a, a tragic feeling. There's such a sense of robbery, uh, a thing of misery. And, and that was strangely missing in that room. And we shared such great memories. Matt and Sherry shared the Thanksgiving that they had for the six weeks they had. And it just seemed appropriate to worship. And so us five in the room just worshiped the Lord. We were just saying these acapella songs. You felt the spirit of God in that room. And I walked out going, wow, that was such a different experience than I was expecting. I talked to Matt, I think it was Wednesday before Thanksgiving, as we were planning the funeral, which is today at 3 o'clock at First Baptist La Mesa. They wanted all of you to be invited as a part of our spiritual family. And I said, Matt, how are you guys doing? And he said, you know, we're doing amazingly well. Of course, it's, it's challenging. Of course, it's hard. But there's just been so much grace. And I said, Matt, I, I've got to ask you a question. Because when I walked in that room, I was so impacted. I said, watching you and Sherry, I said, in fact, I've never seen such peace and such grace on you. And, and particularly on Sherry for the, the three years I've known you guys. And he said, yeah, I said, so I said, you know, were you experiencing that? Or was that just something that, that appeared that way? And he said, you know, Robert, in those six weeks, I felt more connected to God than in any time in my whole life. He said, I had more clarity of mind. He said, people would say, hey, we're going to be praying for you. And and he said that sometimes I wanted to say, actually, I'll be praying for you because I feel so close to God right now. I said, Matt, that's just astounding. I I, I said, actually, would you please share about your journey 
at the funeral, but because people need to hear how near God has been with you. And he explained, he said, you know, Sherry got a word about healing and restoration. And he goes, of course, we expected it to be Alyssa. But we realized when she passed away that God had never said she was be healed and restored. But we realized it was really us that we were being healed and restored. I thought, man, what a paradox. It's almost unimaginable that in the, in the biggest crisis of your life that you could experience a personal healing and restoration. And guys, this, I, of course, here it is today that we'd be talking about this in Romans eight twenty eight. Look at that verse with me. It says, and we know that in all things, God works. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And who've been called according to his purpose. And I don't understand why everything happens the way it does in this life. And I'm certainly not saying that everything's from God. Some Christians go, I believe, overboard and unbiblical and say that everything that comes to you in life is straight from God. And as we study scripture, that's just not the case. You look at the book of Job, and you see that it was the devil that came and brought destruction on God, on uh, Job. You, you look at the time when Jesus was born, and Herod, uh, a very evil king, sends and calls for the destruction of all children, all male children, two and under. That came through an evil person. So we have things coming from the devil. We have things coming from evil people. We have things coming just as a product of the fall. You have natural disasters. You have famines throughout the Old Testament. You'd see a famine that would come. And it wouldn't be uh, designated to the hand of God or the hand of the enemy. It was just a product of the fall, living in a fallen world. And you do have situations that come straight from God. And so what this isn't saying is that we know that all things come straight from God. It says, and we know that in all things, God works. In every situation that comes into your life, what we can rest assured is, is God is working. And he's not just working, he's working for your good. And so somehow in this horribly challenging, biggest trial of their lives, God was working for their good. Now, it's not saying that everything's hunky-dory now for someone who's lost a child. That pain, that grieving, those, these kind of things that happen. I still feel the loss of my grandfather, who I lived in his property and was with him every day in his home. I feel it 22 years later. It doesn't mean that we don't feel the pain. But what it does mean is that God takes every situation that happens in the life of a believer. And as we draw near to him, he works it for our good. Let's keep looking at verse 29. It says this, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. I want to give you permission to underline that in your Bible. It says, he actually takes these situations and works them to conform us into the likeness of his son. I, I can never underestimate the biggest trial in my personal life that came through my near-fatal heart condition was when I was a teenager playing football, getting struck 
my heart rate going to an extremely accelerated, rapid pace at almost 300 beats a minute, being rushed in ambulances, having the defibrillator shocking me on the bed and saying I wouldn't survive, being stripped away from my home, being stripped away from my hometown, losing everything, getting knocked out of every sport that I love, my dreams actually being shattered, my dream of being a college athlete like my father was, absolutely shattered. Was that situation from God? I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know in that situation that God worked. And he took a very selfish young man. I wasn't one of these God-glorifying athletes like Tim Tebow, kneeling and pointing at heaven, like many of our Aztec athletes are. Many of them have gone on to pro. They're such good, godly, humble people. I love watching. I, I love how God's distributing them throughout in the nation and the in professional sports and football and baseball. We have all these professional athletes that have been here. They're such godly representatives. That wasn't me. It was all about me. It was all about my glory. I remember just wanting all the glory and wanting to just be the womanizing football player. I stole my best friend's girlfriend so I could date the head cheerleader. I was a rascal. And having that heart condition that just stripped that all away from me. What God was doing in the midst of it was as things were stripped, he started putting new desires in me. And then I get several years in, I get supernaturally healed. The doctors couldn't explain it. And, what, and it introduced healing and God's power to me. It awakened me to the supernatural. God showed me, hey, Robert, your calling is not to be a selfish, self-centered person with all about you. Your calling is to share my word, to be a minister. He just redirected everything. I can't ever underestimate how God used a trial to conform me as I met him, as he moved in the situation, to conform me more into his likeness. And I want to tell you today as we've said before, to not waste your trials, to not waste your heartache, to not waste your hardships, to draw near to God and let him conform you into his likeness. He goes on to say this, and those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. God doesn't want to just save you then he justifies you. What does that mean? For those of you that are new to the Bible or new to the church, it's though God was a judge. And of course, as you stood before him, you were sinful. He looks and he sees the ways that you've lied and cheated and stolen. How you've thought adulterous thoughts, lustful thoughts. How you've fallen short of the glory of God. God is perfect. He's radiant. There's nothing wrong with him. And all of us have sinned. The Bible says we all like sheep have gone astray, each to his own way. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so God, the righteous judge, sits in the courtroom and we are guilty before him. But then Jesus steps in and says, I will take their guilt upon me. And he took our sins upon the cross. And all of a sudden we are clean and God says, you are justified. You no longer deserve to die and pay for that sin. You're set free. Go. You no longer have to be punished. 
You get to spend eternity with me, clean, forgiven, not condemned. And it says he justifies us, but he doesn't just stop there. Then he glorifies us. Then he says, you're not just forgiven to walk away and go, whoo, I barely made it. No, he says, now I'm going to light you up. Now I'm going to fill you with my presence. All who look to me are radiant. And our faces begin to shine with the glory of God this morning. One of our guys, we were standing around in a circle and he says, I'm just working, filling up, putting air in my tires. And this, this guy in my neighborhood just kept looking at me. He just kept staring at me. This is a true story. He said, he just kept staring at me. And I said, okay, God, I know what that means. So he said, hey, how are you doing? They start talking. He ends up sharing about Jesus with him, then leads him to the Lord. Then he met with him this past week. And this, this young man's life is just being absolutely transformed. Why did this young man just stare at him? It's not because he was interested in air being put in car tires. It's because he saw something. How many times over and over and over again do I hear of people meeting different ones of you on the street and they said, you just look different. You just feel different. When we come into your house, we feel the peace of God. When I come into this church, I see a joy on your faces. Why? Because God is glorifying us with his presence and his light. It's not about us. It's about him and the sweetness of God coming on. A human being creates the most beautiful scene that anyone can imagine. There is nothing more beautiful than a person with the presence of God resting on them. There is nothing more beautiful in this whole world than a person who the presence of God is resting on. And that's what it means that Jesus is glorifying us. This is a good text. Let's keep looking. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. That's the right response. You know, if it's not good enough that he's going to work all things for us, if it's not good enough that he's going to save us, that he's going to justify us, that he's going to glorify us, how about this? That he's going to stand up for you. I talked about my grandmother. Let me talk about my mother for a minute. And in, in, uh, when I was a teen, I was uh, in student council. And so I was staying afterwards, kind of decorating the school for some event. Maybe it was homecoming or something. And I was working, putting up these banners. And we finished in this one part of the school. And so we decided, okay, now we're going to walk to another one. And the student council teacher, she was a uh, a little of a harder woman, we start walking to the other building and she starts absolutely screaming at us. And we were finished. We had done all our work. I mean, we were volunteering, but she is screaming at us. So we come back and she, she thinks we're just trying to take off or something. We said, well, we're, and we start trying to explain, Hey, we finished and we're going, and she just yells at us and just starts tearing us down. Just telling us how lowly and miserable and no good we were. I'm like, here we are serving. And this woman is just red face, veins bulging from her neck, you know. And I just walk out feeling so beat up. Now, I remember my mom came to pick me up that day in our car, and she notices that I'm down and asks me why, and I explain what happened. And she was like, not today. (laughs) 
she said, come with me. She got out of that car. She walked back in, you know, and I was like, I can't believe she's doing this. And in some ways I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> mother lion has been awakened. And, uh, we go in, I mean, a huge high school, thousands of people. We go in, she's like, I-, I need to talk to the head principal. We had five principals, but she got the head principal and we sat down and she was like, no one talks to my son like this and doesn't give him an opportunity to explain what he's doing and then belittles him. That is not okay. I remember the head principal calling in this woman. The woman came in and my mom in a very gracious, but very stern manner explained to this woman that that doesn't happen to her child. And I just thought, you know what? That's a good day. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? I'll tell you what, Ruthie Herber is tough, but God's a lot tougher. He defends you. I want to tell you, there's ones out here, you have suffered under unjust bosses. You've been hurt by hard-hearted family members. But I want to tell you, there's a day where God says enough is enough. And he steps in and he defends you. I don't know what it'll look like for you. He's so creative. But if God is for you, and some of you need to remind yourself of that today. Because you feel so beaten down. You're wondering, is anyone really here? But God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And he is like my mom who says, not on my watch. We're going back in. If God is for us, who can be against us? It goes on in verse 32 to say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Some of you are saying, is God really for me? Does he really care? Does God really see what's going on? And the Bible's shouting at us saying, he didn't even spare his own son. How will, if, if he did that, how will he not give you all the things you need? We need to remind ourselves, God so for us that he gave his only son. I would never give my son for you. I mean, I love you, but you crazy? And that's why you follow God, not me. (laughs) He wouldn't withhold his own son. How will he not graciously give you everything you need? Some of us are so worried. God, will you provide? God, will you meet this need? God, do you see the pain in my heart? And the scripture is saying, he's gracious. He's not stingy. He's not holding back. He's going to give you all and more than you need. Just trust in him. Just take that step of faith. Just look up at him. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's God who justifies 
Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life and he's at the right hand of God and is interceding for us? Today, Jesus is standing before the Father saying, God, help John. Oh, Father, you see what he needs today. Oh, God, you see, Jennifer, you see. She feels so weak. Father, won't you touch her with your hand and empower her? Oh, Father, won't you meet Chelsea's needs today? Oh, God, Dylan's hurting today. Come and be strong for him. Heal him. This is Jesus. He's making intercession on our behalf. Look at verse 35. If if all this isn't enough, then the Apostle Paul, the writer of Romans, says, Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. I mean, we've, we've been told all these great things that we're giving. But now he says, listen, who's going to separate us from his love? You know, certainly someday all these things will, will stop. Nope. There's, there's no separating you from his love. Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword... As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. I love reading the accounts of the martyrs of old. And it's crazy how in the midst of being tortured, in the midst of being killed, that they would stand and look at their friends that had gathered to see them and mourn for them and say, I feel God's presence. He's worth it. I was reading an account last night of a woman who was tortured in Russia in the 60s, a persecuted believer, and she talked about being hungry, being cold, being beaten. And in response, she said, but God, I pray for my tormentors that they would know this sweet happiness that I have. The love of God. You cannot be separated from it. I'm not saying that you won't go through trouble. You won't go through trial. But again and again, followers of Christ share that in their greatest time of need is when God's love was felt the strongest. You cannot be separated from God's love. It's not just persecution. You think, well, maybe, you know, if sure, if I was being persecuted for Christ, that's when God's love is for me. But what about right now? I have this illness or I'm going through this heartache with a child or I'm going through this divorce or going through this tragic circumstance. So many of us have been impacted by the story of Bethany Hamilton. October 31st, 2003, she was out surfing a young aspiring surfer who wanted to go professional. And in an instant, her life was turned upside down as a tiger shark came and attacked her, bit off her arm. She lost 60% of her blood. People thought it would end her life. Miraculously, she survives the surgeries. And one month later, she says, through believing and 
the power of God through holding to him. She not only is up and about, she's surfing again. I can't even surf with two arms, folks. <laughs> you know, she goes through these, these, this tragedy, this pain, this suffering. A, a, a 13-year-old saying, why? But she drew near to God. She clung to him. And what happens? God comes and gives her strength. And not only does she go back to surfing and not only does she become a world champion, but God brings her to a platform to share how she met him in her crisis and to be an encourager to millions and to bring his word to upteen thousands of people. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God can turn any situation and transform us and use it for his glory. You see, she lived out this verse in 37 of Romans 8 where it says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. She didn't just survive the shark attack. She became a conqueror. She overcame and God glorified her and has used her. And we see this over and over again as we cling to God. You're not just supposed to survive this life. You hear me? I know all over this room, there are all kinds of challenges. Some are internal challenges. You're, you're so upset with yourself because you think, you know, my life is fine, but I just can't beat the battle in my brain. I just can't seem to overcome. I feel so discouraged. I feel so trapped inside of me. And God is saying, you can't be separated from my love. And I'm not just going to have you survive. I'm going to make you more than a conqueror. You can beat this addiction. You can beat this trial. You can overcome. Through my love, you will be a conqueror. This is his promise for you. Do you believe it? He wants to make you more than a conqueror. We're not saying that everything's just going to be happy slappy, folks. But what he's saying is that through his power, you will be more than a conqueror. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What does Romans 8 talk about over and over and over again? The love of God. As we conclude this series called Uncomfortable, the reason we called it Uncomfortable is because when you read these first eight chapters of Romans, there's a lot of times where it's addressing things that make us in our American culture feel uncomfortable. Oh, no, you didn't just go there, did you, Paul? Ooh. And there's some things that he calls us on that we're like, ooh, that really makes my normal, natural self very uncomfortable. But I want to tell you that as he makes us uncomfortable, then he heaps his comfort on us by saying God's love. It's about God's love. And God's love saves you when you deserve condemnation. 
And God's love changes you when you deserve to be stuck. And God's love frees you. And God's love not just lets you survive, but it makes you more than a conqueror. Romans 1 through 8 are about God's love. And everything he does, whether it's bringing his judgment, whether it's bringing his conviction, or whether it's sending his son to die on the cross, it's about his love. It's about his love. And one thing, if you get one thing from today, let it be this, that nothing can separate you from his love. And that is our prayer. When you come to fellowship with this church on Sunday mornings, when you meet in the weeks and life groups, house to house, that the preeminent experience that the predominant thought you would have is Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And I feel it also. And I see it in people's faces around me. And as I look back upon my life, I see that he's weaving a tapestry of his great love. Oh, me. Would you stand up with me?